But I want to welcome everybody again uh, who is joining us on all of our six campuses today. Uh, man, if you're linking up with us on the live stream somewhere around the world, we're really glad you're here uh, because, friends, this is Vision Week. Uh, we set aside one week every year to just celebrate what God has done in the past. And, man, we look forward to what we believe God is going to do through us in the future. Now, to get a feel for that, we've had some volunteers put together a table like this at every campus to just remind us of what it feels like when somebody makes a place at the table for you. You know, a, a place where you feel like you're part of the family. Uh, a place where people are excited when you show up. You know, a place, you know, where you can have a good time and, man, you can find spiritual satisfaction and grow. Man, a place where you can come home, even if you've been away for a while, you know there's still going to be a place waiting for you at that table. Now, one of the great things that makes church special is that the Lord's table is the kind of place where people are prayed for and expected. New people are expected to show up. We hope they'll show up. And so today I want to unpack a story about the difference compassion can make, you know, when it moves us to just make a place at the table for a new, pe new person who just does not see that coming. So turn with me in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's on page 260 if you're going to use the blue Bible that we provide for you. If you've got your own Bible and you can't find it, go to the cleanest pages because obviously you've never been there before. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, and, and we're just going to work through a story about how compassion led a godly man to make a place at his table for somebody and how it just changed their life. Now, this story takes place in the life of King David uh, just a few years after he becomes the king of Israel. Now, if you know the story of King David, you know he became instantly famous as a young man because he stopped a Philistine terrorist named Goliath who was literally threatening the lives of everybody in Israel. And man, that was the good news. The bad news is that when he stopped that terrorist, he became very, very, very popular. And the more popular he became, you know, the more the current king at the time became paranoid until literally King Saul literally sent troops out to try to kill David. That's how insecure he was and how you know, bothered he was by David's popularity. Now, crazy as it sounds, David was actually close to Saul's family. In fact, King Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were like best friends and Jonathan tries to defend David to his dad, and his dad, you know, the old man just ain't having it. And so finally, Jonathan advises David, bro, you need to go into hiding before my dad has you killed. But like a lot of best friends do in the military, they both, both made a vow to look after each other's family if anything ever happened to them. Now, sadly, King Saul's, you know, sin sickness and spiritual drift just got more and more and more severe until eventually both he and Jonathan died in battle. And then David becomes the king. God blesses his leadership. Israel prospers in every way. I mean, militarily, economically, uh, spiritually. And, and then a few years later, when the dust settles, David remembers that he'd made this commitment to his buddy Jonathan. And David asks in verse 1 of chapter 9, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, verse 2 says there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And in verse 3 it says, Ziba answered the king, you know, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. And David was like, what? Jonathan has a surviving son? Really? I'm just hearing this now? What in the world? Now, if you're interested in kind of reading that story, 
Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, it tells the story about the day that King Saul and his son Jonathan were both killed in battle. And man, panic just swept through the palace because they think, you know, the Philistines are going to come in here and just butcher the royal family. And, and so a nurse grabs Jonathan's little five-year-old son, trying to get him to safety before the Philistines get there. And there was a terrible accident. The child fell. Both ankles and feet were broken. There's no time to set them. Man, they got to get out of town and flee for their lives. And so the result is... This little boy is permanently disabled on the day his daddy dies when he is five years old. But here's the question. Why do you think Ziba tells King David, ah, he's just a cripple? I mean, Ziba has no clue that this boy is David's best friend's son when he just flippantly says, ah, he's disabled. You think maybe in Ziba's mind, some people just don't count? There's people like that. I mean, maybe in his mind, he thinks some people don't deserve a seat at the table because they're not cool enough, they're not rich enough, they're not productive enough, they're not, you know, like us enough. I mean, not very much compassion in that response. But look what happens next. In verse 4, David says, where is he? David does not say, how bad is he disabled? How bad does he look? How much trouble is he going to be? No, dude, where is he? Now, friends, David is going to put on a compassion clinic in this story. But I'll tell you, the first thing we're going to learn is that compassion always begins with unconditional love. Man, David made a commitment to love the people and Jonathan's family. And brother, that's how it's going to be. So where is he? And Ziba answers, well, he's at the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Now, friends, Lodabar, I mean, is way out here. Jerusalem's here. Lodabar is way out here in the sticks on the west bank of the Jordan River, the, the Hebrew name Lodabar literally means no pasture. So this is an obscure place where nobody wants to be. And Jonathan's son has been hiding in this obscure place since his dad died years ago. And we know it's been years because in verse 13 it says that he has a son. So he's married, he's got a family, he's been hiding in Lodabar all that time. So from five until he is a man who is married with kids, He's been living on the down low in Lodabar on the west bank of the Jordan, probably scared to death. David is going to find him and do to him what all the old kings used to do, just go to and kill everybody in the former king's family. Now, that's when in verse 5, King David had him brought from Lodabar. Now, dude, don't you know that was a stressful thing? I mean, this poor kid, he didn't know what to expect. And then Mephibosheth. Now, this is the boy's name. Now, the Jewish, Jewish people pronounce this name Mephibosheth. Uh, I grew up calling him Mephibosheth. Uh, I can't say either one very well, but he's obviously Southern because Bo is right in the middle of his name. <laughs> and so if you get tongue-tied and you don't know how to say his name, just say Bo and everybody knows who you're talking about, all right? Now, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, so this is Saul's grandson, came to David, and man just bowed down to pay him honor and David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, your servant. You know, you just got to wonder if Mephibosheth has heard any of the famous stories from the whole book of 1 Samuel about this amazing friendship that his dad had with the guy who is now the king of Israel. I mean, Mephibosheth was five years old when his daddy died. He has no idea how much love is waiting for him when he finally gets to his seat at the table. And friends, I hope this reminds you of how important it is for us as a church to just intentionally welcome all the new people who come, welcome them to our table. 
And can I just say as a church, dude, you guys are great at this. You are great at this. I mean, I hear so many stories you know, about people who finally come home to God and they find a life-changing relationship with Jesus here. Or you know, they come to our church and, and their life and their family is just radically blessed because they finally found you know, their seat at the table. And then I ask them, man, how long have you known about our church? Years. Why didn't you come sooner? I had no idea it would be like this. We have a family at our Effingham campus. <coughs> Excuse me, I met these guys years ago. I bet I invited that guy to our church 25 times before he came the first time. Every time, yeah, well, maybe one of the, yeah, well, you know. And then I couldn't invite him, and somebody else invited him, and he came. So I, I don't know, you know. Uh, he started coming at the beginning. He and his family started visiting our Effingham campus at the beginning of 2018, and they loved it. Their children loved it, especially this little middle child, Ella, who is a very special seventh grader who just fell in love with what's happening at our church because people just loved her. Well, last August, Ella told her parents she wanted to be saved. And John Smith, student pastor, you know, out at Effingham, met with her, and he made sure she knew what she was doing, and Ella gave her life to Jesus. And for her baptism, Ella invited everybody she knew and had over 100 family members and friends gather at the 810 building, the student building at the Effingham campus, after lunch on a Sunday afternoon to hear her make her confession of faith and watch her dad and mom baptize her into Christ. Now, friends, I am so thankful that there was all this love just waiting for that family long before they ever found their seat at our table. You know, on Decision Day a month ago, man, we baptized hundreds of people on every campus. It was awesome. But I got to tell you, the two baptisms that were the biggest moment for me, uh, one of them was when my buddy Ethan made his way to the baptistry. Now, Ethan has got some mobility issues and some other stuff going on. And his adoptive mother helped him up the stairs and down the stairs, got into the baptistry with him, signed the good confession to him in American Sign Language. Dude, he confessed his faith in Jesus. And when we baptized him, this place exploded because Ethan found his seat at the table, right? And then my friend Shannon, who is a part of our ministry to people who are hearing impaired, uh, she sits right down there when we have an interpreter who interprets my whole sermon in American Sign Language. And I'm just sometimes afraid that girl's going to beat herself to death trying to keep up with me. But she doesn't. She does a great job. And man, when, she, when, when uh, Shannon decided she wanted to make a commitment to Jesus, Jessica Joy, uh, our translator, literally came into the baptistry with her, signed the good confession to her. Shannon signed it back. And brother, she took her place at the table. Now, you know, when Ella and Ethan and Shannon came here for the very first time, they had no idea that there was a place at the table waiting for them. But they know now. And let me tell you, Mephibosheth is just about ready to learn that. Look at verse 7. David tells Mephibosheth, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness. Everybody say kindness. kindness. Because that's what compassion looks like, amen? amen? Can't be a jerk and show compassion. Can't be a jerk and be like Jesus. Amen? amen? I noticed some of y'all wasn't saying amen, and I know why, too. You know who you are. All right. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Bo, I don't even know you, but I love you because I love your father, and your father loved you. And so I'm going to restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always, everybody say always, always, always eat at my table. And man, the king summoned Ziba, Paul's servant, 
<coughs> said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to King Saul and Jonathan and the family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm that land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will be provided for. Wow. Think about that. Mephibosheth arrives with nothing. He's got no rep. He's got no connections. He's got no good expectations. And then a wave of God's grace just breaks over his life. And he receives a place at the table that he did not earn, that he does not deserve. And yet he receives because his father loved him. And you know what? David just loves anybody Jonathan loved. Now skip down to verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He adopts this guy into his family. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. All the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth, his wife, his son Micah, his whole family, Ziba, his wife, his kids, all their servants, all were blessed because David made a place at his table for them. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Man, he moved from low to par, no pasture, no blessing, no joy, no good. He moved to a place of great blessing and great joy and new people, friends, who need Jesus, need to find a place at that table just like Mephibosheth did. He lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and even though he, even though he was crippled in his feet, even though he was disabled, he had a favorite place at the king's table. Now, I love that story. Now, friends, if you read through the story of King David, let me tell you, he did not get it all right. Can I get an amen on that? He did not get it all right, but he did this time. And by showing compassion, he has demonstrated the same values that make our church a place of great blessing and joy for new people who need to find a place at Jesus' table and at our table. Now, think about the values that drove what David did in this story. Number one, Compassion shows strength. Everybody say strength. strength. Man, strength is what David used to bless Mephibosheth. Compassion compelled him to leverage his strength to make a difference in this young man's life. Man, David showed spiritual strength. I mean, that's what led him to keep his word to Jonathan, do the right thing. Jonathan's dead and gone. He does the right thing. Listen, he seeks out an opportunity to do the right thing because of his spiritual strength. David showed him financial strength. He uses financial resources to bring Bo to Jerusalem and then, you know, give him some help, making his life productive. David uses, shows emotional strength. I mean, here's the king who sees a guy who's suffered a lot. And man, he's trying to lead a family and the king's heart just goes out to him and he responds with compassion and David makes a place for him at his table. Friends, David was given that strength by God and he used the strength he had received to bless Mephibosheth in a way that brought glory to God. Now, I want to talk with you today about some of the strength that our church has received from God and the way we're using it to bring glory to God every day. Now, if you're cynical about the church, you might listen to this message and think, oh, man, they're really bragging on themselves today. And you know, if you're cynical and that's how you hear it, I cannot help you with that cynicism. That's a you thing, bro. But here's what I can do. I can show you how God is working through our church to make a difference in our community and our world, and I think it's bringing him glory, and I think we ought to praise him for it. So first of all, you need to know that Compassion is a small church with a lot of people in it. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, it feels like a small church if you get connected. 
The more connected you get, the smaller our church feels. But it's got a lot of people in it. We're really young. You know, when you compare our church with some of the historic churches in town, but last year, over 8,400 people gathered for worship here every week. Now, why would I tell you that? <coughs> Friends, every one of those people found a seat at God's table here at Compassion because you made a seat for them, just like David did for Mephibosheth. In addition, friends, you've got to know that number is one out of every 40 people who live within an hour of our church. I mean, by God's grace, we are positioned to make a huge difference in this region. I mean, out of our Statesboro campus, 50 miles away, they're making a place at the table for hundreds of Georgia Southern students every week. Man, Harrison told me about one student who came to Statesboro, spiritually just drifting, struggling. Man, she got connected. She gave her life to Jesus, baptized into Christ during their Sunday night prayer meeting, continues to serve and be more involved every day. At our downtown campus, we have baptized 15 students from six different countries and eight different states this year. 15 different countries represented at that campus. Down in Midway, that campus is two years old. 464 people gathered for worship there last weekend. They got a booming children's ministry, student ministry going crazy, literally just a few miles from the gate of Fort Stewart. Friends, their faith promise commitments to global outreach increased over 40% this year, and the church is two years old. Altogether, 637 people made commitments to Jesus so far this year. 213 of them were students. Let's praise the Lord, everybody. Come on. Let's praise the Lord, man. <laughs> Over 2,700 adults at our church connect in 248 life groups every week. Man, they're connecting in relationships that look a lot like what David offered Mephibosheth when he invited him a place at the table. Now, these are strengths. These are strengths from God that if we want to, we can leverage for compassion. But not only did David's compassion show strength, his compassion exposed a heart of generosity. Everybody say generosity. generosity. Now, I think one way God, that David glorified God <clears throat> is that in his career, the stronger he becomes, the more generous he becomes. Now, this guy is at the pinnacle of personal success, and yet he uses his wealth and his strength to bless somebody that he had to go looking for. He had to seek Mephibosheth out in order to bless him. Mephibosheth wasn't standing right in front of him, man. David had to go looking for him, but he did. Now think about all the different times over the last year that our church has just gone looking for an opportunity to let generosity bubble over into compassion. Last year, 943 students had an amazing experience growing spiritually at a summer uh, church camp experience. Many of them, I mean hundreds of them, went to that camp because your generosity provided a scholarship for them. We have had over 5,000 families so far this year have received compassion, food, clothing, help from our Lighthouse Ministry at Henderson, East, Effingham, and Statesboro. Why? Because of your generosity. I love this, man. We've had eight children that we know of, maybe more than that, but eight children have been adopted into a forever family through our loved one ministry this year. These are orphans who are now have a home. Let's praise the Lord, man. Come on. I mean, you've got to know, that's what David did for Mephibosheth, right? That's what the man after God's own heart did. And it changed everything for him. I have a friend in our church who was a pallbearer at Billy Graham's funeral. And his family adopted a child with the help of our loved one ministry, made a seat at the table for this young Asian man. 
Now this year we've sent 30 Compassion Christian teams to serve with our global partners literally around the world. Man, our church family invested over $400,000 in gifts to send students and adults uh, to, to places around the world that we can't go. I mean, maybe you're not physically able to go, but you're able to pray and you're able to send, and man, we sent a ton. Now this is crazy, but for 2018, over $1.8 million has been given to bless people around the world through our global outreach, and this year's pledges are still coming in, but I'm telling you, man, I think they will exceed that amount for next year. Now, I tell you this, just so you can see that the same generosity that the Holy Spirit reminds us welled up in the heart of David from Mephibosheth can clearly be seen through our compassion in our cities and in our world, and I think that's awesome. Now, friends, we also learn from David that compassion takes risks. Everybody say risk. <laughs> you know, at our global encounter we had here uh, the first Monday in November, we rolled out all the short-term trips, you know, that we're going to be taking that are scheduled for 2019. We had over 600 people jam into the lobby right here at Henderson to find out more about these trips and sign up and all that. But during that meeting, Dave Stewart led a parents meeting uh, of families who have students who want to go on one of these trips, but the parents are a little anxious about allowing them to go. Now, he had the opportunity to talk, you know, about the care you know, with which we plan and the safety of these trips and all that kind of stuff. But you know, every one of those parents is thinking about the risks. Now, like I said, man, we sent out 30 teams this year. Uh, man, they went all over the world. Uh, they did an amazing amount of good, you know, here in the U.S. and abroad. But that requires some risk, not so much in safety, because, man, we really pay attention to that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you got to risk traveling a long distance and eating different kinds of food and, and facing the unknown and then believing that it's worth it before you actually know what's going to happen. Now, you do realize that when David offered Mephibosheth a seat at the table, that's a risk. I mean, he risked the chemistry of his family, friends, but compassion compelled him to take that risk, even though it might complicate his life. And if you read the rest of the book, it did complicate his life. Now, Compassion required David to set more seats at the table and to pay for it. And he did. And God blessed that. Now, if you were in this, uh, this weekend last year, uh, you remember <clears throat> that we were, we were talking about uh, trying to take our whole church family to Financial Peace University at the same time. And I just roll this out uh, because honestly, I just got sick to death of people I know getting divorced and going to prison and worse because of dumb decisions that were spurred on by financial stress. So we tried to set a table for 80% of the people in our church to go through Financial Peace University and we missed our goal. We did not get 80%, we got 86%. We went over the top and praise the Lord, all right? It was awesome, yeah, good, 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 good. Now, listen, we told you, we weren't asking for anything from you, we trying to give something to you and I want you to look at the data and you tell me if we kept our word or not. Now, Dave Ramsey spoke here in January, kind of kicked this thing off. And at the end of that nine weeks of Financial Peace University that literally almost 7,000 Compassion Christians went through at the same time, 987 people who did not have a $1,000 emergency fund built one during that nine weeks. Compassion Christians paid off $5 million in dumb debt non-mortgage debt, and at the same time, same nine weeks, saved over $3 million for the future, and all that happened in 64 days 
Anybody want to say praise the Lord? Dude, that's just wise. That's just wise, man. Now, just in case your personality is like mine and you're wondering, well, dude, was that like a nine-week flash in the pan? Let's look at what happened since then. We did a, 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 a checkup six months out. We found that 334 more people had wisely developed a $1,000 emergency fund. We found that the amount of life-sucking debt paid off in our church went from $5 million to over $10 million in six months. And the amount our church family has... I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about our church families have saved went from $3 million to over $7 million. Now, we also had people in our church who personally paid off millions of dollars in debt just to honor God because they could. We didn't even count those stories in these metrics because they would throw everything off. These are just regular folks like you. Now, we ask you to play ball. That was a risk. We faced some bitter criticism because we did. But friends, that risk paid off and thousands of people in our church go to bed every night feeling the peace that you have with just a little bit of financial margin. And friends, that is peace they have never felt before. And I just want to say praise the Lord. Anybody want to say it with me? Praise the Lord, man. Yeah. Now, I could go on and on and on talking about all the things God did here last year, but what I want to do is get to the main point of this story, and then I want to challenge you to follow David's example. Compassion shows great strength, obviously. Compassion exposes generosity, no doubt about that. Compassion takes risk, of course. Every act of love does. But friends, finally, compassion makes, everybody say makes. It makes a seat at the table. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, you can talk about compassion all day long, but if you don't do anything about it, don't mean anything. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Friends, love is a verb. Jesus didn't say you'd be known as his followers if you say you love everybody. He said you'd be known as his followers if you show love to everybody. So the challenge is to actually make, to actually create a seat at the table for people in your life and for us to create a seat at the table for people in our church. Now, we have a number of initiatives that we plan to launch this coming year that will literally make a seat at the table for people just like Mephibosheth who feel like they're outsiders and are living desperate lives because they are living apart from Jesus. They're not sitting at his table. Here's number one. We want to make a place at the table for orphans in our community. Mephibosheth was an orphan. His parents were dead. He didn't have a, a dad. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, my team took a field trip. Uh, a bunch of our leaders, we went to DFACS, DFACS Center. Any of y'all ever been to DFACS before? No? That's a good thing. Well, you have? You went there to help, right? You didn't go in handcuffs, did you? All right, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. I know. You know, we went to the DFAC Center downtown, uh, met with the staff, prayed with them. We thank these folks for rescuing the children in our region from horrible situations. We thank them for literally being the firewall against the dehumanization of the little people that Jesus loves so much in our region. They couldn't believe it. They were dumbfounded. Nobody thanks them. And so we did. While we, was there, while we were there, <laughs> I was thrilled to see our East Campus has a packed ministry closet at DFAX, literally to provide clothing for these poor kids who have suffered neglect and poverty and mistreatment and often abuse 
Friends, these kids have nothing. You know how good it feels when you get something new and you put it on, it's like, mm-hmm, that's right. Y'all check this action out. Feels so good, feels so clean, looks good, awesome. Imagine what it would be like to live your life every day with the opposite of that because of parental neglect. Because, friends, these poor kids have nothing. They go through these harrowing experiences of living in a home that is so bad that the government removes them. And often all they possess are the, the rags they're wearing. And friends, this is in our region. I'm not talking about Calcutta. This happened in our region. And then they get to defects. <laughs> and our PAC ministry has provided these beautiful bags of clean clothes that are new to these kids, often the best clothes they've ever had on their body, and they're able to be blessed because of your generosity. Way to go. Way to go. But what about the spiritual condition of these kids? I mean, you can clothe them and they still go to hell. I mean, what about the spiritual condition of these kids? Let me ask you a question. Think about this. How many foster homes do you think are needed in our region to put every at-risk kid in our region into a safe clean, healthy home. How many new foster homes do you think we need? 250. Everybody say 250. 250 new foster homes would solve that problem. Now, we have 18 families that we've identified in our church who are foster parents right now. There are probably more. That's just the ones we know about. Some of them are ramping up to adopt. Others of them are ramping up to foster kids. Friends, if God would just lead 232 families in our church in the next three years to be a foster family or adopt a child, we could potentially have every child in our region under the care of defects in a compassionate Christian home, every one. I mean, imagine if in the next three years... 250 families were to say, you know what? I believe God is calling us to do what David did. I believe God's calling us to open our home to a kid whose whole destiny would change if they lived in a safe, healthy, loving family environment. Well, I mean, you know, here's how complicated it would be. Where they ate every day. Where they studied every day. Where they went to school in clean clothes every day. Where they had parents worthy of respect every day. Where they had parents that taught them to show respect every day, where they had fun every day, had an adult give them a smile of approval every single day. What an onerous burden, right? So what every kid in every healthy home in the world thinks is normal. These kids don't get that. Imagine the difference it would make, not just to those children, but the blessing it would be to those families and to our church and to our city and our region when those kids who grew up, if those children were, were to grow up believing that they were the treasured child of the Most High God instead of having to turn to the streets for their identity. And then imagine if every foster family in our church, in Compassion Christian Church, had a life group that just linked hands with them and did for that, did for that foster family what my uncles and aunts did for my family when my dad died. I'm not talking about moving in. Just pray for them every day. Bring my pizza over once a month. Occasionally include that family in ball games and beach trips and stuff like that. What, what if every foster family had a, a life group that was just held their hands up in encouragement as that foster family does the world-changing work in the name of Jesus for the little people that Jesus loves so much? Friends, little people and lost people 
have a special place in the heart of Jesus. We could touch both and solve this problem. Now, there are 5,500 families in our church. If 250 of them would pray and feel led by God to foster a child, we could solve this problem in our region. Solve it. Uh, easy? No. Quick? No. World-changing? Absolutely. And if God gives us grace, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do this. Dude, we started last week. We started training families who have a heart for this last week. Do you know when we had this training session last week, we had families from other churches come to our training session because they heard a rumor that a church in town was finally going to do something about this. We didn't announce it. They just heard the rumor. Now, let me tell you, one of the great things about a big church is you can make a big difference. Amen? Amen. And sometimes you can pick a social problem and focus the love and strength of Jesus on it and solve it. We've been praying about this for a year. We're planning right now. Next year, we're getting started. So here's what I want to ask you to pray about. I want to ask you to pray that God will raise up 250 strong families who have a heart for fostering or adopting children. Just, just raise up. You know what? If, if you think about having another child and it makes you want to throw up, you're not that guy, all right? <laughs> Can I just say, we don't want a kid in your ham. You've done your, you did your part, all right? Yeah, yeah. But let's just pray that the Lord would raise up 250 people who think, I've thought about that all my life. I want to do this. And then I want to encourage you to pray that God will raise up 250 strong life groups that will support them and be Jesus to them. And then I want to ask, pray, you pray that God will make clear to you which one of those two options you should take. That you should do one or the other in Jesus' name just like David. Now that's a big hill. But imagine the difference it would make if we made a place at our table for every foster child from Statesboro to Brunswick. And we could do it with 250 families. Boom. Here's the next big hill we're going to take this year. <laughs> y'all not getting tired of this, are you? Uh, okay, I see some of y'all a little vapor locked. It's going to get worse. So here we go, all right? We're going to make a place at the table for downtown. Now, in July of 2004, God led us to launch a ministry in downtown Savannah to reach students uh, and residents. Uh, you know, there's a just a hugely growing number of students in that part of the city. And wow, that ministry has been amazing. Now, look at this map. Uh, this is where our, our downtown campus meets. This is a map that contains data from two years. Two years of the students that came to our downtown campus found Christ, and then went back home as followers of Jesus, many of them the first believers in their family. This happened in two years. That ministry's been rolling down there for 14 years. And man, they've been setting up and tearing down in a theater the whole time because frankly, our church did not have the strength or the opportunity to make a seat at the table downtown because downtown is so stinking expensive. But all that changed last month. By God's grace, after years of searching and praying and fasting, we finally found a building that was available at a price that we thought was reasonable. Man, that building is right next door to Garrison Elementary School, which is one of the great schools downtown that we want to partner with. This building right next door to the school, a restaurant can't get a liquor license if they're next door to the school, so the typical buyer wasn't interested, and we just think God was holding it for us. Amen. Amen. It's right between Garrison and the old railroad museum. 
It's a 21-minute walk from Forsyth Park. It literally is right in the middle of 8,000 SCAD dorm rooms right next door to a new retail development that's going in downtown that will make this a super strategic location. And by God's grace and your generosity, we closed on that property last Wednesday. <laughs> Boom! Yes. We now own a, ministry, a, a place in downtown Savannah where we can have ministry seven days a week, 360 days a year. Let's praise the Lord one more time. Y'all, this is awesome. I'm saying, this is awesome. <laughs> but before you get too excited, let's look at what we got for three and a half million dollars. For three and a half million dollars. Now, did I, I did mention this was downtown Savannah, right? Where Atlanta's hyper expensive, where somebody just spent three million dollars for a vacant lot. But by God's grace, we got a building too. Awesome. Now, take a look at this building, y'all. That is the ugliest building in downtown Savannah right there. It is the ugly duckling, man, I'm telling you. It actually looks pretty good for a mattress factory, but not real good for a church. You know what I'm saying? So we need to transform this into this. Uh, we need to transform this room, which will be perfect for a worship center, into a worship center that will seat 500 people downtown. Uh, we need to transform this long, narrow gun barrel building into an effective educational space so that the very, for the very first time, we will actually have a place for our children's ministry that works at our downtown campus. And all of that renovation is going to cost $4 million. Everybody say $4 million. Say it with me. Try not to throw up in your mouth a little bit when you say that because, <laughs> because I do every time, every time I say it. Now, we, we, by God's grace, raised the money to buy it. We own that property. But it's going to take $4 million to operationalize it. Now, I'm not talking about fancy. I'm just talking what, about what it takes to turn a mattress factory into a home for a church. Now, here's our plan. We want to have this property ready for ministry next August because that's when the SCAD students start rolling back in for school and they're going to see this beautiful, safe worship center where there will be a place at the table for them. Now, that's what happened to my friend Carmen. Uh, Carmen, in the glasses here, is from Singapore. Uh, Carmen started coming to our downtown campus. She gave her life to Jesus. She was baptized into Christ at, on Easter Sunday two years ago. She's been serving in our children's ministry ever since. She's watching us right now. Carmen, love you. And your mama, Sandy. Love you guys. Miss you. Move back to Savannah. This girl right here, throwing up a gang sign. No, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, her name is Ione, and she is from Japan. She's an animation major at uh, SCAD. She gave her life to Jesus two weeks ago and was baptized as well. Friends, downtown is a field white with a harvest. And the Lord has already sent the reapers, man. Our team is getting the job done. We just need a place for them to bring that harvest to maturity. And what we learned from financial peace is that we need to do this if we can without racking up a lot more debt. So here's the plan. This is the challenge to use your strength to make a place at the table for people downtown. Now, we take up a special Christmas offering every year just to honor Jesus at Christmas time. We do this every year. This year, we're praying that offering will raise the $4 million that we need to operationalize this building. My prayer is that we will all make a sacrifice like David did to make a place at the table for downtown and pay for it with this Christmas offering. Now, I know this is short notice, but here's the deal. 
from this Christmas to next Christmas, I'm praying that we will receive $4 million in gifts specifically for this Christmas offering uh, for the downtown campus in addition to our regular giving. Now, I'm not talking about taking your tithe and giving it this or your missions giving. No, we need you to make an extra sacrifice for this. Now, it's already on the app. Uh, we got leaders in our church are already given to it. But my prayer is that we will all make a sacrificial gift on December 12th and 16th. And if you need until next Christmas to do something really significant, take that time. But I want to encourage you to make, give as much as you can this Christmas so that we can make a place at the table for our friends downtown and not have to go into debt to do it. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Cam, how is that possible? So glad you asked. Here's what I've been praying about, and here's what I'm asking. If you're a gifted giver, use your gift. Use your gift. Man, if 100 families gave a truck, right? I mean, instead of buying a new truck, they gave $40,000 of this project. Done. Done. And listen, if God's blessed you to be able to do that, be like David. Do it. Bless. Listen, if you can give $500,000 and it doesn't affect how you eat every day and where you vacation this year, please, in the name of Jesus, give $500,000 to this. Now, most of us can't do that. But if you have that gift, use it like David did to make a place at the table for lost people downtown. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're struggling, I hope you'll give something. Well, you know, many of us are already tithing and giving to missions, and for you, dude, that is a challenge. But I hope if you're a single mom or a widow or somebody on fixed income, that you will pray and you'll, you'll do something. You'll give something. Just give something. You know, Jesus was at the temple one day, and he saw a widow give a gift, just a tiny gift at the temple. And he said, dude, did y'all see that? That widow just outgave everybody here because she gave something when she has very little. Imagine the reception that woman got from Jesus in heaven when she died. Even though it was hard, she made it a place at the table with the strength she had. And we're 2,000 years later still telling her story. Now, that's the two extremes. You've got gifted givers on one side, people who are struggling on the other. If you're in the middle, you've been blessed. And I want to encourage you to give a week's pay to this Christmas offering. A week's pay. If you can do it on December 12 or 16, awesome. If you need more time, take more time. But you know, like I said, we have 5,500 families in our church. If all of us gave an average week's pay, we could underwrite the entire renovation of this building and pay down $2 million in debt. I mean, that's all it would take. But I mean, you and I know not everybody can do that. Not everybody can. We have widows in our church, people on fixed income, single parents. So like David, it's really important for all of us pray, all of us to pray and ask God, Lord, what do you want me to sacrifice with the strength you have given me to make a place at the table for somebody else like somebody else made a place at the table for me. Now those are the two big hills we're going to try to climb this year. We want to make a place at the table for orphans and we want to make a place at the table downtown and we want to give God the glory for it all. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to turn this over to your campus pastors on all the different campuses right now, but friends, we're holding information meetings at every campus between now and December the 12th. And you're going to hear about it at your campus. Please come to these meetings if you have any questions. I'll be there. I'll answer any questions you have. But let me just pray for you now that like David and like Jesus, we will help make a place at the table for that one person we know who doesn't know the Lord yet. Father, thank you.
thank you for this opportunity to, we have to be a part of a church that's making a difference, not just in our city, but in our world. Well, I'm thank you, I thank you, Lord, that the, the population of heaven has gone up 637 this year because of our church. The population of hell has gone down 637 because of the ministry of these people. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for the people around the world who are blessed, Lord, because of the generosity of our church. We're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity we have to think and to pray about somehow supporting a family that's fostering a child or, or Lord, maybe being a family that will foster a child. Father, to think about what we could give to create a space where students from all over the world will come and hear about Christ and take him back to their country. And Lord, only you know the difference that will make. Now, Father, there are many churches that would never even attempt this. But Father, I'm so thankful this church will. And I thank you for all the fruit that will come because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.